This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. In this episode, we tread into the world of analytics with statistician data analysis guru, Joran Elias. You might know him as the statistical skier. For several years now, Elias has run two websites. One is statisticalskier.com. It's more of a blog that has not been updated in a while. The other is statisticalskierdata.com, and that site, which offers data analysis apps using FIS data, and by FIS, I mean the International Ski Federation, that site is currently updated seasonally during the World Cup. And yes, Elias is active on Twitter. His handle is at statskier. Okay, Elias is 38 and has settled in Missoula, Montana, where he works for the University of Montana, crunching numbers for the school's administration. He's also a lifelong Nordic skier. He's originally from Maine, started skiing in the Bill Koch League there, and also skied at Dartmouth. And according to Elias's website, he was, quote, at times not entirely slow. If you've never checked out Elias's sites, they're worth your time. Certainly, cross-country ski racing is not a wash in cybermetrics, but in this episode, we'll hear a bit about data analysis and the sport we love and what its limitations are. Let's begin with how Elias started statisticalskier.com. Yeah, I'm curious how you got started, and uh, yeah, let's start there. We had moved to Washington, and I was between jobs, and I had a, a lot of free time. And uh, it was, I think, a winter, late winter or spring, and it was the sort of every two to four years, there's the the regular U.S. ski team or Olympic team or world championship team selection process that they go through, and it generates a lot of, a lot of attention and a lot of discussion. And so I was reading a lot about it on Faster Skier, and there's lots of arguing in the comments. It wasn't so much that I felt like I had some sort of grand answer to everything, but as I was reading sort of other people arguing, I I got more and more frustrated about the fact that people would sort of trade um, arguments about, you know, skier A beats skier B by such and such a margin at this race or whatever, and so clearly they should be named to the team. And and I always sort of read that stuff and, and be like, well, okay, but I, I want to be able to see, you know, each all of each skier's results for an entire season or multiple seasons in one place easily. And there was really nowhere to do that. You know, you could spend hours on the FIS website clicking through and and gathering that. And so I had a lot of free time and, and a lot of leftover programming skills from my time in grad school and decided, well, heck, I'm just going to get them all. So I, uh, I started scraping data from the, the FIS website. Let me just jump in. I'm just curious, when you say scrape data, is that something where you're like manually, you know, referencing a graph? No. Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> I should be a little careful here. Uh, it's, it's, probably, it's probably 80% manual uh, automated at this point and, and maybe 20% manual. The, the tools I've written for myself to do it have gotten improved a lot over the seven or eight years that I've been doing it. And it, it's actually more like um, a computer program that loads a web page. So if you go to the FIS website 
and look at a results results for a race. Um, the computer program loads the website like your browser would and actually parses the results and downloads them and stores them in a database. Gotcha. Okay. So it's highly efficient. Um, yes. Although, like I said, I, I should be careful. I'm not slamming the FIS website with, you know, <laughs> right. thousands of requests every second because the their own sort of, I, one of the things I learned as I was doing this is that their data management is actually not always all that great. And so I would find a lot of stuff where I would make us, you know, you'd look at five of their results websites and assume that everything was going to be formatted that way. And you'd very quickly learn that, no, um, there was some period in, you know, the late 90s when they, the websites that they still have up there are formatted entirely differently and you had to change your code. And, and so you, you have to be kind of careful. And so Basically, the process for me each winter is I I dedicate you know maybe an hour or two a week. Sure. And I sit down and I sort of pull down all the results from the FIS website for the past week. Sorry to digress there. Yeah. So I pulled. I mean, once I sort of gathered all that stuff, um, then you know I had it all in one place and I could start you know pretty easily and efficiently with you know saying like okay well. You said that, you know, Chris Freeman beats so-and-so in this race. And I could say, well, okay, well, I want to see all of Chris Freeman's results over, you know, five seasons. Or I want to see all of the times that these two skiers raced against each other. Are there any trends there? And so, yeah, so that's how I got started. Okay. And did you find that when you started to look at your data in a visual uh, format that... It corroborated, you know, not to put any coaches on the spot, but it corroborated how they selected or was it you know, not necessarily correlated with, with the data? I would say that more often than not, almost, almost always what you would see is nothing that would directly contradict any sort of decisions that have been made. And in fact, usually what would happen is you'd, you'd sort of start from a position of sort of relative certainty of saying, you know, I'm pretty sure this skier is faster than that skier. And you'd, you know, sort of look at all of their results against each other over a period of a couple of years. And very frequently what would happen is you'd say like, well, yeah, we were kind of right, but it's a lot less clear actually that one of them is better than the other when you look at the data. That the amount of variability in your sort of average skier's results makes frequently things look a lot less clear and less certain um, when you actually look at the data. Is that more of a phenomenon perhaps, you know, within the domestic field in, in North America or say specifically the U.S. and not say the case the last four years with the Norwegians? Or, you know, if we started crunching those, that data there too, we would find a bunch of variability. Mostly what you find is that um, there are a very, very, very small number of skiers at the very, very top. I'm talking about like maybe, you know, two or th- the two or three best, you know, male and female skiers in the world who part of why they are so good is that they are so consistent, is that they are so consistently good that the amount of variability in their results is very, very low. But that's extraordinarily rare. When you start looking at people's results and quantifying them, even, you know, if you start, you know, open it up to like the top 10 or 15 on the World Cup, 
and you say, okay, this person has 20, you know, a fist points of 15 or something, um, very quickly you start, when you start incorporating the variability in their results, um, it's very easy to see skiers like that where you're like, okay, it's 15 fist points, but maybe plus or minus five or plus or minus 10. And so then suddenly when you start comparing two skiers that might be ranked, you know, 10th or 15th or 20th, it becomes a lot less clear that one of them is, is sort of obviously better than another. Side note here. I'm good at these side notes and digressions. Um, That's fine. Do you play, do you do like Noah's uh, Fantasy Ski League? You know, I do not. I think I signed up for it once early on and sort of played around with it, but I'm kind of a statistical curmudgeon with a lot of that stuff. I sort of pretty firmly think that uh, the degree to which you can predict skiing results races based on like previous race results is pretty extraordinarily limited, depending a little bit on how precise you want the predictions to be. So, I mean, you know, you can... You, depending on your definitions, you can sort of make this turn out however you want. But it's not very interesting to sort of predict that, um, you know, Mart Bjorgen's going to be in the top 20 in a given World Cup race. But I mean, you know, to be able to accurately predict that Heidi Wang is going to be fifth as opposed to third, at, at that point, you're flipping a coin. Right, right. There's, there's just no, there's no systematic way that you can predict that with any sort of consistent accuracy. You know, the ability to use stats in like baseball is compared to cross country skiing. I mean, do you think it'll ever be able to come to, to that point? Definitely not. No. Um, which is not to say that I don't think that there's a lot of room for growth in the use of data in endurance sports generally, but that sort of stuff got popularized with baseball and it's certainly expanded into basketball and, and soccer and, and American football to a large degree. But the, the sports are just so, so radically different. If you take baseball as an example, baseball games take place in a, in particular major league baseball games, take place in, in an extremely controlled environment. And by the nature of the sport, the entire sport is essentially a very discrete sequence of events that can be very easily quantified. Endurance athletics is is really not like that at all and skiing is probably the worst at, at least with you know track you know running events the sort of environment and the course is fairly uniform and skiing it's just you know it's the wild west every course is different every day the snow conditions are different the variability introduced just from that is just is just incredible the idea that you can sort of you know get an enormous amount of information just from race results data I think it's going to be pretty limited, which is not to say you can't get any information from it, but I think there's a lot of room for growth. And, and it's possible that a lot of people are doing this. I just don't know about it is to sort of start utilizing the sort of the, the GPS devices um, that are becoming ubiquitous uh, with endurance athletes and to start harnessing a lot of that real time GPS and heart rate and other sort of biometric data both during training and racing. And I think there's probably a lot of interesting stuff that you could do with that, but probably only if you were collecting data at a scale and a consistency that I'm certainly not aware of. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there's probably, you know, 
an athlete or a handful of athletes out there that are carefully monitoring things or in some pretty regimented program where they're collecting a lot of data. But, uh, you know, you'd sort of need to uh, be expanding that quite a lot. So, I mean, for example, one of my sort of holy grails I've always wanted is the GPS data for World Cup athletes um, during a race, the latitude, longitude, and timestamp um, during the race, because they all they all have these chip timers now, and the data exists. Um, whatever the timing company is, you know, does the timing for FIS. That's how I mean they do some fancy graphics where they're tracking all that stuff, but it's not publicly available data. And what would you do with that? I'm just curious. Well, you could start to do some interesting things where, particularly if you collected it, you know, a large volume over of it over several seasons, you could start to ask questions like, are there, you know, particular sections of particular courses where the athletes that do well are making up a disproportionate amount of time? Are there particular types of terrain that particular athletes tend to struggle in? Uh, and stuff like that. And I've seen this, like Chris Grover started sending me these maybe, I don't know, uh, shortly after the season started. These things, uh, FIS does not make them public for some reason, but they, I think the IBU does. And it's a competition analysis where it essentially, uh, you've probably seen them. Yeah, I've heard about them, yeah. Yeah, and they're not, all it is, it's a, it's a little more glorified uh, it's essentially a breakdown with more splits. Exactly. And, you know, you can tell the top part of the analysis may have a course profile and you can tell, you know, where certain sections are. So you can say, okay, Jesse Diggins, you know, really made up ground on a downhill, but it's very, you know, it's just certain segments of the course. It's not, from my understanding, it's not, you know, like collecting data constantly, you know, they have to be passing a certain point. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like a time split, you know, that they might be revealing on TV or the time splits that, you know, if you pull up the fist results and they have, you know, three different splits and in an individual start. Okay. Um, you know, after all was said and done, you know, what did you actually learn from your data? Big picture, I suppose. I think what I learned is sort of, I'd sort of boil down to, you know, a couple of broad you know, principles that are not unique necessarily to skiing data, which is, which are things like, it's really crucial to look at as much data as you can and not focus on whatever race or, you know, handful of races that sort of have stuck in your head. You really need to sort of get as broad a picture as you can. And second, that you really have to be honest with yourself about uh, the degree of variability in athletes' results and not get sucked into being too certain about any sorts of conclusions um, because all these athletes have good days and bad days, except for maybe, you know, like I said, a very, very handful, very, very small handful who are able to be the best in the world nearly every day. There's a fair bit of variation um, with almost all these skiers. And so you, you really have to sort of move slowly and look at as much data as you can and assess as much variability as you can. You know, does anything come to mind? Is there a race in particular where you're like, hey, therefore, you know, this sort of exemplifies that on any given day, anybody can have a great race? 
Oh, you know, I was thinking about this when I was driving home today. And unfortunately, I can't, I can't remember the name of the guy. One of my good friends would probably, if I described it to him, he's, he has this, a mind for this sort of thing. He'd be able to rattle it off. But there was a, there was a World Cup race um, a number of years ago, a men's World Cup race, where a guy, I want to say he won. He won a World Cup race, an early season World Cup race. I think if you sort of if you start doing sort of summaries of top World Cup results by individual, he stands out as being this guy who won one World Cup race and didn't have any other results like in the top twenty for the rest of his career. I might be wrong. He might have been just you know on the podium or something. I I'd have to look up the details, but it it turns out that it was just a totally crazy weather day. He was one of the lowest ranked athletes, and he started very early. And then, you know, almost immediately after he started, a really intense snowstorm started. I believe it was a classic race. And um, everyone else was slogging through, you know, four or five inches of fresh powder. And he had nice hard tracks. And he either won or was, you know, one of the top skiers. It was light years beyond anything that he <laughs> did in the rest of his career. And that's, I mean, that's a really extreme example. But that's sort of what I, what I mean when I say there's a lot of variability. You know, I'm curious, are, are there any, are mass start races from a data set analysis standpoint more difficult to parse than just, you know, a straight up individual start? Um, well, no. Well, yes and no. Um, so, you know, I mean, the, the whole fist point system, which we can get into later if you want, um, tries to tries to treat them differently. I I, I don't think you know, you analyze them all that differently in the, except in the sense that you need to remember to potentially treat them differently. So like when you're making comparisons between athletes or you're, you know, trying to assess an athlete's likelihood to do well in a particular kind of race, you, you do always need to be very careful um, to be as specific as possible and always sort of look at the specific type of race, the technique of race that you're interested in. And when you're comparing two skiers or multiple skiers, again, that sort of specificity rule sort of means that you should always, as much as possible, be looking at when those specific skiers have raced directly against each other in the same race. Sometimes is hunch an effective way of, of choosing a team? Well, I'll, I'll say this, which might be kind of a dodge. I am the f first one to sort of say that coaches and athletes have a lot more information about their skiers than I do just looking at their race results, you know, from a couple thousand miles away. And so even though a coach may not, you know, even if they're not looking at this, the data at this, with the same level of sophistication that I am, or as much of it as I am, they also likely have way more actual data than I do because they see the athlete every day. They see the athlete in training. And I mean, I see none of that. So, and literally all I see, you know, when I'm doing my stuff, all I see is a, a date, you know, for a race and what place they were and what, what time it took. Them. And I don't know how they were feeling that morning. I don't know, you know, whether their training had been kind of off over the previous couple of days. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I just wouldn't call that a hunch. I, mean, I, I think frequently 
yeah, there's a temptation to call that, you know, a hunch or a gut feeling, but I think it can be as data-based as anything I'm, I'm talking about. So what are your websites that people can go to? So there's statisticalskier.com, correct? Right. Yeah. And then I, I built this um, other thing called statisticalskierdata.com that has some little web apps that will are a little more interactive and allow you to generate some graphs on your own for specific skiers. Okay. So I, all right. I, I do have a question and that is, mm-hmm. you know, I'm on statisticalskierdata.com here. And so one of the things that, you know, in U S skiing is a big uh, topic is, you know, athlete development and, you know, how do we develop athletes um, too fast, too slow. Do kids go to school? Do they not go to school? Like I'm spe- specifically speaking of like college, you have an ath- athlete development trends. Can you describe what that is and how would I use it? And what is what can it tell me? Uh, so what it's doing basically is it lets you pick a group of skiers that you want to compare someone to. And the way it's organized is essentially you sort of pick skiers who finished in the top, say, five in World Cup and Olympic races at least, say, ten times. And you can change that however you want. And then you select a particular skier. And what it'll do is it'll show you um, the fist points by age for the group of skiers and the specific skier that you picked. So I so when I choose an athlete, I, I type in Alex Harvey. Okay. And so I'm gonna do Alex Harvey. Let's whoops. So is it doing its thing? Oh yeah, here it is. Okay, so there's Alex Harvey. Um so it doesn't do a comparison, is that correct? Nope. It'll do it'll do more than one athlete. Okay, so I'm gonna type in Pierre Harvey. I don't know how much data I have on Pierre Harvey. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we might not have enough data, so we'll we'll see. Okay, so whoops, I don't want and okay, plot development comparison. So I'm going to type in these two guys. There he is. I don't know how much he's he's a he's an old timer. Okay. Yeah, I have the data on him is pretty late in his career. All right. So obviously, there's no data for sprinting for for dad, but we got but we do have some uh, distance data points. So what can, what can you do tell from what we're looking at here? Um, well, this is kind of an odd comparison because of the time gap between the two skiers um, and, and the fact that we're using fist points here. So I would say we probably can't learn all that much from this because of that time gap. The data for Pierre Harvey is going to be pretty old, and the fist points will be kind of not as competitive like it, it gets kind of it gets kind of sticky if you try to compare fist points over like a 20 year span because the competitiveness of the sport has changed so much okay so let's take out pure harvey here and maybe should i take out who would you suggest let's try jesse diggins and ida Sargent. so ida's obviously more of a sprinter but okay so i, I picked those two because you know ida isn't isn't so much of a distance skier, and so her her fist points are sort of pretty um, consistently above that the trend for that co- cohort for the distance. And, and the cohort trend is that the blue line, yeah, with the the shading. Okay, 
Gotcha. Whereas, you know, Jesse was sort of right on track and sort of had a little bit of a blip in her early 20s, but is on a nice improving trend ever since. And she's actually sort of looking better on the sprinting side as well. But it's interesting because I think when I, when I made this, I was thinking about sort of um, guidelines for sort of athlete development and, you know, where should I be at a particular point in my career sort of thing. When you start looking at a lot of these and look at how sort of variable the fist points are for a lot of the, the groups that you select, and you can sort of, you can manipulate it a little bit by making the, you know, the comparison group more or less generous. But mostly what I sort of take away from this is not that a particular skier should be at a particular level of fist points at a particular age, but the, the sort of the common thread when you look at the comparison group of sort of skiers who you've defined as like the good skiers that you're comparing yourself to is that they're consistently improving, usually very quickly in their late teens to early 20s. And then that continues on, you know, through most of their early 20s. And so what you don't see very much of is people who have a lot of sort of consistent improvement and then, you know, plateau or start to move in the, the opposite direction in their mid-20s. And you don't tend to see a lot of those people uh, turn things around again. So it's more the, it's more the trend, you know, than the... Uh, specific sort of level of, you know, I should be racing at 75 fist points at age 18 or something mm -hmm. like that. Okay. So it's sort of like, you know, if you were, it's a good benchmark to just look at. It's like, okay, most skiers, you know, say we're talking about world cup skiers, if they're not showing that trend of improvement by say like 25, yeah, uh, it's going to be tough for them to turn it around. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the later you go, um, you know, the harder it is to, to turn that stuff around. Here's a question, just looking at Ida's data here, um, where she, you know, she has a trend of she's, she's improving on the distance side up until say around 25. Yeah. Maybe a little later. And she can, you know, she's, she's steadily improving on sprint. And it seems like even, even, you know, maybe a little, blip here. I don't know what the increments are for age. Uh, is that one year increments? Mm -hmm. Okay. So 26, so maybe by two, you know, 27, she had a tough year or uncharacteristically underperformed for her maybe. But that said, you know, looking at her specific data, could you also say it's like, okay, well she just started focusing and training specifically for sprinting and therefore it makes sense that her, you know, her distance results wouldn't improve. You know, totally. Um, and that's a great example of the sort of stuff where, you know, that you just don't see just by looking at a time and a, a fist points, you know, on a results page that, you know, their coach, the coach and the athlete will sort of be automatic knowledge to them just by looking at, you know, a bunch of numbers on a graph. Anything else you want to add? Uh, not to that. No. Are you for hire? <laughs> the right people call. Uh, I have been known to do that. Yes. Okay. All right. You know, for people that go on your site, it sounds like, you know, you're still grabbing data from fit, you know, the active fifth site when you can do that. And so therefore when you're, when you start using the statistical skier data.com, 
it will draw information, you know, fairly current race results. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, some of it I only update at the close of the season, um, but most of it will be real time as I update. You know, if I'm if I'm traveling, I might you know I might be a week or two behind. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad that there actually is this resource out there for people to kind of geek out on. No problem. All right. Have a good night. Yep. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation and the Elias interview. 